Today we're beginning this three-week series, three to four-week series on, uh, on possessions. And when we think about possessions, it's not just financial resources, which I think many of us think of immediately, but we also possess so many other things. We possess um, spiritual gifts and talents. Uh, we possess time. Uh, one of the most expensive commodities in our culture today is time. Uh, we possess um, a spiritual uh, gift of God's grace. We, we possess so many things and so many attributes because God has blessed us in so many ways. And so when we talk about possessions, today, the first week, we're going to hit it home right away. Let us give. <laughs> Anybody uncomfortable yet? Let us give. It makes anyone uncomfortable to talk about giving. I mean, the disciples are gathered together with Jesus when he says these words in verses 33 and 34 of our reading today. Sell all your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven, and the purses of heaven never get, uh, get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it, and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there your desires of your heart will also be. So what Jesus begins teaching them is the very same thing he taught the rich young ruler. Do you remember that from a couple weeks ago? Sell your possessions, give them to the poor. Okay. I have a hunch that the disciples were also a bit nervous because before Jesus challenges them with that word, he says this to them. So don't be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Before Jesus ever asked us to sell anything, he already gave us the kingdom. You are an inheritor. You are adopted, but you are children of the Most High God who has given you his inheritance. You have the kingdom, and it is a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. God chose to make you an heir and to give you the kingdom. That is what he is telling his disciples. He is telling them that they have nothing to fear because they have everything. And yet, the disciples quickly succumb to fear. Well, I'm glad we're not like them, right? Well, at least I am. You may not be, but I am like the disciples. I also fall into fear 
especially when we talk about giving. But Jesus loved his disciples, and he loved his followers. And the amazing thing is that he loves you and me, his current followers. He loves you, just like he loved his disciples. He loves us. And he refers to them and now to us as his little flock. It may seem like a strange reference. Ever thought of yourselves as a little flock of sheep? But that's what Jesus refers to his disciples as. And it actually is a common and very prominent um, interpretation of God's chosen in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures. And so there's multiple places I've chosen to read from Jeremiah 23, uh, verses 1 through 5. If you, wanna, if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, that's where I'm at, Jeremiah 23, right at the beginning. And this is the prophet Jeremiah speaking the words of the Lord. He is speaking on behalf of God to the people of Israel. And he says this, What sorrow awaits the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep? For they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expected to care for, says the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord the God of Israel says to these shepherds. Instead of caring for my flock and leading them to safety, you have deserted them and driven them to destruction. Now I will pour out judgment on you for the evil you have done to them. But I will gather together the remnant of my flock from the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their own sheep, uh, sheepfold, and they will be fruitful and will increase in number. Then I will appoint responsible shepherds who will care for them, and they will never be afraid again. Not a single one will be lost or missing. I, the Lord, have spoken. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And his name will be the Lord is our righteousness. Why is that reading so important? That reading is important because First of all, what God is telling us through the prophet Jeremiah is that the leaders, the shepherds of Israel, have failed them. They have focused on the wealthy and the powerful, the religious leaders and elites, and they have allowed for the destruction of the weak and the poor. And so what God is saying is that these leaders have failed the very sheep that God intended to protect. But that's not the end. After the judgment of the religious leaders, my type, then God says, I will provide for you shepherds. 
who will care for the flock. I will provide for you the good shepherd, the one that comes from the Davidic line, the one who will become the king of kings. I will provide for you the shepherd, the Messiah. And that Messiah will truly shepherd my flock, and they will care for the sheep. As a matter of fact, the Messiah will purchase them with his body and blood so that the 12 are secure, so that the 70 are secure, so that the followers of Jesus are secure, so that you and you and you are secure in the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus loves his disciples and his followers, and he continues to love you. So do not fear, little flock, chosen flock. Do not be afraid. Care for one another in need. Open your heart. Love one another. John, one of the twelve, was a prolific writer, gospel writer. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the first three epistles of John. And from those scriptures, what we know about John is that he had quite an amazing relationship with Jesus. And he was the one that lived the longest. We know that because of his gospels and then his epistles were written um, numerous years after Paul's letters, numerous years after the other gospel writers. Uh, Mark was the earliest gospel writer and followed by Matthew and Luke and then finished up around the end of the first century by the Gospel of John, by John's writings. In 1 John chapter 3, John writes to us about the love of God and how the love of God is given to us so that we might be empowered to love one another. There's an old Bible camp song that we used to sing with the kids Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth knoweth God. Um, you may have sung that too, I don't know. But that Bible verse reminds us that God loves us, and because God loves us, we are moved, compelled, empowered by God to love one another. But sometimes fear still gets in the way. And sometimes it's easier to succumb to fear rather than to love. I was looking at this chapter 3 this week. And one of the things that caught my attention in the Greek was the wording that is used by John. Clay say taught splagda, 
atu, ap, atu. Um, Greek words that literally translated, well, let's first of all, let's go to 1 John um, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Let's, let's take a look at that. 1 John 3, 16 and 17. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. That's real love. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need and shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? So the, the phrase that caught my attention was, if someone has enough money to live well, um, and this, this is the phrase, and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion for him. Why did that catch my attention? Because literally, it means if you have means, which we all do, and we close up our bowels of compassion. Now you get where I'm going with this? This is why it caught my attention. And if we close up our bowels of compassion, so, so that word compassion actually means like your guts, your bowels. Um, and, and, and think about um, splagna means um, stopping it from moving, from flowing. It's, you know, capping it off. So I think what John is trying to communicate is to be regular meant that everything flowed and brought relief. <laughs> Is that making sense? Um, and and when, when things don't flow, it's like something has become problematic. And so to show compassion means that you allow things to flow. But if you don't show compassion, it means that you block it up. You prevent the passage from opening. Or in another way, we could say, if you see your, your neighbor, your brother or sister who is in need, and you, you suddenly find yourself financially constipated, you might be full of something, but it ain't the love of God. To show compassion means that you allow that love of God to flow through you, physically, spiritually. And so if you see someone in need, that is God's way of reminding us that we are loved. When God tells his disciples to sell all their possessions or sell some of their possessions, however you want to translate that, sell your possessions and give them to the poor, um, give them to those in need. When, when, when Jesus says that to his disciples, he's saying that to them because of his love for them, because his love is secure in them. This is the challenge in the midst of the love. Patty and I got to 
do this incredible thing the last four days. We got to watch our three-year-old granddaughter while her parents and baby sister went out of town for a medical conference. And uh, I can tell you that um, it was amazing to see um, and to live around a three-year-old again for nearly a week. Because one of the things that she reminds me of is her constant love for us. And yet, she can be pretty challenging at times. Grandpa, I want you to sit on the floor right here, not over there, right here. Um, and guess what I do? I move from over there to right here. <laughs> you see, to be challenged in love is to be in relationship. And that is what Jesus wants us to understand, is the reason he can say these things to us is because of our relationship with him, because we know that he loves us. It means that we receive the love of God, and then we are free to share the love of God, to give. So do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God will not end his relationship with you. That's the first thing that Jesus wanted his followers to know. The second thing was to be prepared. Be prepared. So how do you prepare for a vacation? Do you just go to the airport, buy a ticket, fly somewhere, try to find a hotel? Do you plan ahead? Do you think about some of the sites that you'd like to see? Maybe uh, go ahead and purchase the tickets in the hotel packages so that you have it all situated, you know exactly where you're going to be. How about a new home? How would you prepare to purchase a new home? Would you just kind of go eeny, meeny, miny, mo, that one? Or would you want to check them out? How do you prepare for retirement? Maybe you kind of say, uh, I'll never be able to retire. I'll just work the rest of my life. Or you might actually prepare by saving money for retirement. Either way, it's preparing, just preparing differently. And so what Jesus is telling us is to be prepared. It's important for us to prepare. And one of the reasons why it's important for us to prepare is that as we prepare with our gifts, today we're focusing on our financial resources, in particular our giving. As we prepare with our giving, we are preparing a way for the good news to be proclaimed. Did you ever think about that? When you give... To support the ministries of the church, other ministries, you are giving, you are preparing the way for the good news to flow from this church and from its ministries, from the school, even though we don't pay for the school. That is an outreach of our church, and the love of God definitely flows from that place through us 
And so when we think about preparing the way, I was thinking of that concept or that phrase in the Scriptures. And who was the first one that prepared the way for the good news of Jesus Christ? Was it John the Baptist? And uh, how did he prepare the way? He prepared the way by baptizing Jesus. And then um, there's others. Um, do you remember the four friends in Luke chapter 5 that uh, brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus? But by this time, Jesus had become so popular and he was in this house preaching that the house was full. There was no room for anybody else, let alone for a paralyzed man and four of his friends to walk in. And so they did the most um, common thing possible after not being able to enter the front door. They went up to the roof, cut a hole in the roof, and they lowered him through the roof. How many of us would be prepared to do that? They were prepared, and they put him through the roof, and Jesus did something really, well, controversial. When he saw this paralyzed man coming through the roof, do you know what he said? You'd think he'd say, well, get up and walk. He didn't say that. He said, young man, your sins are forgiven. Well, that really irritated the, the religious leaders. Only God can forgive sins. What do you mean that you're going around telling people that their sins are forgiven? And Jesus said, is it easier to tell a man that your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? But so you have no misunderstanding about who I am and why I came here. Young man, stand up, take your mat, and go home. And the young man stood up, grabbed his mat, and he walked out the front door. The four friends made the way for the good news to come to this young man. There are others. There is, um, there is Lydia from Thyatira in Acts chapter 16. It says that um, Lydia, the maker, the seller of purple cloth, um, which was a royal color, which meant that it was very expensive, very extravagant. Um, she, uh, most scholars believe she was probably a very, very wealthy woman. And she provided the financial support for Paul to start the church in Philippi. She said, come, bring your friends and stay at my home. She would have had a very large home with probably four sides with a big courtyard in the middle. This would have been a very expensive home. And she said, come and stay at my house and start the ministry there. And so Lydia, the dealer of purple cloth, actually provided for the church to be birthed in the city of Philippi. You have the letter to the Philippians. That's in thankfulness to Lydia. Then you have another woman named Phoebe. And uh, she is mentioned in Romans 16 at the very beginning of that chapter. And she was a financial contributor to Paul and his ministry. And he makes note to thank, um, to thank Phoebe from Sencre, Sencrea, 
however you want to pronounce that, a little village outside of Rome where she was from while she had moved there because the Romans were persecuting the Christians in Rome, so she'd moved there to Sancria. And in the midst of all that tumult and, and upset, she did something amazing. She continued to support the ministry of Paul. So, biblically, why do we give? We give because we want to prepare. We want to be prepared, but we also want to prepare the way for the good news to come. And the reason that we can say that is because we also know that Jesus loves you. He says to us, do not fear, little flock. Let's just say that the love of God is flowing into you, that the love of God has never stopped flowing into you. Is it flowing from you to others in need, to the work of the kingdom, to the church? In other words, will you help to prepare the way for the good news to continue to bring life? If so, then let us give. Amen.